Isaiah's Vision of the Lord In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Amen. The Calling of the First Disciples One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the Gospel of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. 
May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Think back to when you were a teenager. Um, did you um, have a paper round or, or worse, a Saturday job um, to help uh, get the vital money coming in so that you could sneak off to the club on a, a Friday or a Saturday night? Um, I had the joy of working at Vicarage Field Shopping Centre in Barking in Summerfields. I was a checkout operator. And each uh, Saturday morning, I'd arrive at 10 o'clock in the morning, feeling dreadful, um, not saying what happened on the Friday night to cause that, but, uh, and then would have a delightful nine-hour shift. Beep. Beep. Actually, no, I, was, I was a lot slower than that, think about it. Because um, they had a chart in the staff canteen and I was the fourth slowest checkout operator in the uh, store. Nichols T, 8.2 items per minute. Next week, 7.8 items. Stacy, who was number one, was 43.7 items per minute. She was just flying it through all the time and was far too keen as far as I was concerned. The crushing reality every single Saturday when my figures went on that board. What did it do for me? Well, it made me absolutely determined not to have a career in retail. Um, can I uh, just emphasize that now? There are some people who, when they realize that they're not very good at something, they will try harder. They will keep going for it, keep going. No, for me, entirely the opposite. That's it. Retail, definitely not for me. Let me find something involving books and I'll be far, far happier. Not the desire to try harder, but the recognition that I needed to escape. Anything but shifting tinned goods from there to there. Anything but that. Our gospel reading for today, we have this small collection of fishermen. They are not very good at being fishermen. I'm going to throw a bold notion out there for us all. These are fishermen who cannot catch fish. They are nearly as good at their job as I am at being a checkout operator. Their nets are as empty as our supermarket shelves will be in a couple of months' time, according to all of the analysis um, about Brexit. So what are the options facing these fishermen? Well, they can carry on doing what they're doing, and they probably won't be very good at it. Throughout the Gospels, we, we have to face the fact that the Gospel writers realize how useless the disciples are. They are constantly pointing out how rubbish they are at everything. The fishermen, they can't catch fish. They can't even sail a boat properly. They're that rubbish at their job. And time after time, they are being highlighted for their incompetence. What do they do? Should they stay or should they go? What are the options available for them? What are the options available for any young man at that time in Judea? They could try, maybe, to eke out uh, a living working as fishermen, but 
they're not very good at it. And to be honest with you, the level of taxation that the Romans imposed on, on the fishing industry made it very difficult, even for those who were good at fishing, to survive, let alone anything else. They could go, maybe, and join the revolutionaries in the hills. They could, at a stretch, maybe try their hand at farming or shepherding. But don't forget, these are men with no formal education. There are limited options out there for them. Or they can get religion. One of my uh, good friends is an artist, and uh, a few years back she, uh, she did a sculpture called Leaving Their Boats and Nets Behind. And it was just a, a, a dinghy that she managed to get hold of and uh, did some bits with it and so on. And the idea behind this piece of art was about what are those things that we have to leave behind in our call to discipleship, that for those men it was leaving their boats and nets behind. What have you had to leave behind when you have responded to Christ's call to be a disciple? I'm always left with this story of wondering who it is who then has to actually deal with everything after the disciples have have left. Who is it who has to deal with this massive catch of fish? Is it Zebedee? deserted by his sons? Is it the employees who also are equally tired and exhausted after having failed to catch everything all night long? Is it other random brothers and friends who suddenly have to help out? We don't know. Jesus is clearly the current celebrity that everyone has to see at that precise moment. He needs a platform on which to speak and so he goes and grabs a boat out at the edge of the, uh, the shore. I'm going to suggest that Jesus in this reading is actually running the risk of making himself quite unpopular uh, with those whom he is about to call to discipleship. He's getting in their way. They are trying to do their job at the end of the day. They are tired and exhausted. The last thing they want is somebody coming and getting involved. It's a little bit like that moment at 4.59 in the afternoon when the phone goes and you're just about getting your coat on, ready to go out the door. And then suddenly, oh, there's another phone call and do I deal with it or can they wait until tomorrow? Jesus is there right at the end of the shift, getting in their way. He's climbing into their boat when actually they just want him to leave everything alone. And let's be honest, in the passage before our one today, Jesus has cured Simon's mother-in-law. Now, if you want a way of guaranteeing some, to not be popular with somebody, it's looking after the mother-in-law, surely. And then, to top it all, he then says to them, oh, go out again, as if they haven't had enough, as if somehow this chap who's never done any fishing in his life knows better than them. Go out, put your nets down again. I know more than you, I who am a complete amateur. And yet, in this situation, this unlikely situation, Something remarkable is happening. There's no obvious call to discipleship in this reading, unlike in the other versions in the other Gospels. There's no private conversation really between Jesus and Simon, Jesus and James and John, where he convicts them somehow to come and follow him. 
Instead, we end up with this, this strange bit where, where Simon says to him, go away from me, I'm a sinful person at the end. And then he says, well, come and, and catch f- people with me. Do not be afraid. There's no obvious, come and follow me, as we've just sung. Instead, don't be afraid, come and catch people with me. There's no, there's no other way for these brothers to respond, however. There's something working under the surface that we're not quite sure what it is, but it's working at them, and it's meaning that these men, who seemingly think they have no other option in life, suddenly their option is open for them to follow Christ himself. This whole reading is a a challenge in many respects to our Protestant work ethic. There's no knuckle down a bit more, try a bit harder and it'll work out right in the end. There's no notion for these disciples of, well, if you just keep on fishing a bit more and a bit more and a bit more, it'll all work out for you and you're going to end up as the greatest fisherman in, in history. There's no perseverance and endurance is a good thing for you in this setting. But rather, give it up. In terms of work-life balance, here the parable and the message of this story, I think, is it's better to have life and no work at all rather than the other way round. Let's be honest, these men, when they leave their livelihood, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They will be utterly reliant on other people's generosity from here on in. This is no obvious career path for them. how often do we allow ourselves to be entrapped by our work? By our career ambitions? How many of us is our work-life balance out of kilter where work is our life rather than the other way around? And how, if career is your everything, how can you fully respond to the love and mercy of God? Don't be afraid, Jesus says to Simon. Not have faith. Not you need to have more love. Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching people. To follow Christ requires courage. And even though these small group of men have seemingly very few options in life, they will be abandoning that which is familiar to them the friends that they have, the family that they keep. And Jesus says, you're going to be catching people. Now, I don't want, I don't want that as a, a model of evangelism to be the kind of creepy form of evangelism that we often see in our world, the, the sort of the going out into the street, marching up to somebody, grabbing them and saying, are you saved, brother? Or anything like that. That's not what I think Jesus is talking about here. But rather about being there as the safety net, catching those when they are falling. A bit like Catching Lives, our local charity, and and that idea of catching people. Not the going out and, and shoving a net over somebody, but rather about being there as the safety net for them of how do we have an evangelism whereby we are offering hope 
and safety for other people rather than trying to impose our faith on them instead. When you think about it, Jesus, his disciples, they're a right odd bunch. In many respects, I can't think of a worse group of people to hang out with. And certainly I can't think of a worse group of people that I would want to trust to be able to suddenly deliver an organisation that is still here 2,000 years on. We've got a load of fishermen who can't fish and can't sail properly. We've got a bunch of crooks and thugs amongst them all. And suddenly, these are the people that Jesus is left with. But he sees a potential in them that nobody else ever would do. He sees in those whom everyone else would rightly write off. And he moulds them into something beautiful, something that actually creates an organisation, which is why, let's be honest, you and I are here today, and why we are worshipping in St Peter's itself. Useless fishermen, and yet we're worshipping in his, a church dedicated to his name today. How often do we miss the potential in other people? How often do we force other people to conform within our structures, our work environments, our rules, or even worse, how often do we expect people to conform with our rules and obligations in church, rather than allowing them to be free? In the novel Bel Canto, there is a, a, a scene where um, there's a, a, one of the characters is a brilliant pianist. And uh, they're in a, a hostage setting, and there's a piano. And he just decides he's going to go and start playing the piano. And he's absolutely amazing, and everyone is spellbound by how beautiful he plays. And they're all his colleagues that are with him, and none of them knew that he was uh, this brilliant pianist. I mean, he, he could have been a concert pianist. But why did nobody know? Because he was forced by his parents onto a career structure in Japan to be a corporate manager by being forced away from that which could have given so much beauty and joy to others. Nobody ever knew of his talents. He was brilliant, but until that moment, only his next-door neighbour knew how brilliant he was at playing. Jesus sees the potential, and the the parable message I think of this miracle story today is not about trying to ensure that people remain within the drudgery of work that isn't life fulfilling but rather I think it is there as a pointer to that which is to come it is to highlight future opportunities don't bother catching fish anymore come with me and let's go and catch people and Simon is fully aware of how useless, how unworthy he is. His reaction is similar to those of the prophets who've gone before, and we read in Isaiah today of, of the response of Isaiah to that initial call, I'm not worthy. I was talking with Joy before the service, and she and I both concur that actually when you get the call to ministry, a lot of the time it's, <laughs> yeah, right, and, uh, and try and run in the opposite direction, anything but actually responding to the call. How often have we allowed our 
lack of worth, our feeling that we're not going to be good enough to actually therefore prevent us from responding to God's call. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Come with me and let's go and catch people. Do not be afraid. When Jesus calls us to follow him, it's not that he's going to say to us, it's not an intellectual thing first off. It's not a, you have got to agree with me on 15 different points and then we can start the process of of going together. John Vincent talks about it as a feet-first evangelism. He says, start walking with Jesus and everything else will come along as you start walking. Start following me. Start, let's, let's start getting our feet dirty. Let's start on this process. And as we go, everything else will start to slot in. Those men had every right to not feel worthy. They had every right for everyone else to dismiss them. And yet, look what they ultimately achieved. Are there those moments in your life where you feel that you're not good enough to follow Jesus? If there are, I want you today to understand that God is offering to you his word of reassurance and love. You are worthy of following Christ. Even when you don't feel good enough, God is still there offering to you unquestioning love. My second question is, what are those hidden gifts that you have that maybe nobody else knows about? What is your hidden potential for the kingdom? And whatever that is, how are you going to use it? And thirdly, Just like those disciples left nets and boats and families behind. What are you prepared to leave behind as Christ calls you? Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Do not be afraid. Christ is calling you this day. How are you going to respond? Amen.